Yeah, good morning. You, I'm going to let you be seated. Uh, I appreciate Pastor Johanna and her obedience to the to the to the Spirit of the Lord. Thank you for your prayers for us, and uh, thank God for He's He He just so cares for us. He, he cares for His people. Uh, the Gospel of Hope is what I want to talk to you about. Amen. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. So we could say the good news of hope. Uh, we'll read it in a little bit. Most of everybody knows it out of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, where it says, and it is defining love, and it says, of these three, abideth. Some translation says endureth. Some translations say continue is faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. But it names three things, and they all three work together. I guess kind of what got me on this trail uh, or confirmed this trail for me this week is I read uh, actually just three three days ago. Uh, I actually know the person uh, very personally. Uh, they didn't, they didn't come, to come to this church or anything. They don't even live in this city. But they had posted a post on social media, on Facebook, and uh, and it just really uh, hurt my heart to, to read it. Uh, it was a little bit of a, a lengthy post, but the person just said that they started out by saying that they had served God uh, all their life and that they had loved God all their life. And uh, But they felt at that moment, just a, three days ago now, when they posted their post, that God had forsaken them. And had given up on them, and and they actually went on to write and say that they were giving up, and uh, and it was just pretty uh, tragic. And this person I know personally has been through some difficulties. Uh, I've been there uh, with this person uh, through the death of two two uh, spouses, and uh, I've been I've been there, and so I know this person very well. And it just broke my heart to read that and to know what a difficult time they're going through right now to the point that they would go on a social media public uh, format like that and just say they were giving up and uh, that, that God had forsaken them and, and so forth. Now, now, those of us whose ears and how are tuned to the grace of God, the, the, the message of God's grace, you know, really... It, and this is no maligning of the person. It's just simply saying that we see things through through grace, e even our difficulties, e even our troubles, and we're all going to have them. Uh, but, you know, when the person started out their post, they said, I've served God all my life, and uh, and I've loved God all my life. Anybody see a problem with that? What's the focus on? Focus on their serving, focus on their loving God. That's completely 180 degrees wrong. And if that's your foundation for trying to view your problems, well, I've served God. What we really don't mean sometimes but kind of do is I've served God and I'm, I'm ready for my paycheck back. I need God to pay me back by keeping, you know, trouble out of my life. 
it's supposed to be a smooth life. I'm not supposed to have all these problems, and and I've served you, so therefore I don't understand why you allowed this to happen. is is very common. Now, when I read that post, of course, by the time I read it, there was numerous comments uh, of people just of friends and people that know, you know, you know how that works, and they're 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 commenting. And and they're trying they're trying to comfort this person. They're trying to to say something, you know, in response to her post of giving up, and she don't understand, and and all this, and uh, and this was the most common response uh, that people said to her. In other words, this one was repeated by numerous people, and I think at my last just going back and just checking it, I think she had 98 comments. And so this one was right up there. This was one that was repeated by many different people. And this is what they told her. They said, God won't put more on you than you can bear. God won't put more on you than you can bear. They were saying, be encouraged, for God won't put more on you than you can bear. Now, probably nothing that one Christian says to another Christian is spoken with more heartfelt sincerity uh, than that statement. Uh, you, you've probably had it said to you, have you not? Or you have heard it said. You've probably heard it preached. There are some of you that think it's in the Bible. Go ahead, Brother Dale. I believe I will. I'll go ahead and shock you. It's not in the Bible. The Bible teaches something very different than that and uh, distinctly different than that. But, but many people kept repeating this, and it's a very churchy thing to say when people are going through trouble. Well, just hang in there because God promised you he wouldn't put no more on you than you can bear. And, uh, and I've, been said, I've had that said to me. And the church I grew up in, it was just a very common, it's, it's meant to be encouraging to people, uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches uh, where people think it's in the Bible is they go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. That they think this is where it's at in the Bible, but this is not where it's at at all. Is it all right this morning? And this really goes along with what Pastor Johanna did and her obedience to the Lord and God wanting to heal hurts and, and, and touch people, you know, in, in, in your life. And this is what it says. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted, everybody say tempted, beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make not a way, but the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now the context of that verse, I've all, I'm always telling you guys that if you take a scripture out of context, if you remove the context, you're just left with the con. If you take it out of text, you just that's the way to help you remember it. You just, you're going to get conned. Beginning in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10, the context is that he, Paul is writing the Corinthian church and he's admonishing them not to fall to the sin trap. And he's, telling, he's talking to them about, and he says everything that happened to the children of Israel in their wilderness journey happened to them as examples unto us so that these same things don't happen to you. And he said, so don't be like them. And it said some of them rose up to play. They, they committed sexual immorality. And he's talking about all these sins. And he says, he says now, I assure you that God won't allow you to be tempted to sin. And, and so he's talking about sin. This has got nothing to do 
with, with, uh, with burdens and trials and troubles that come your way. He's not talking about that. So he's encouraging them uh, in, in that, that God's saying that not tempted to sin. In fact, we know in the book of James, God said don't let anybody say when they're tempted to sin that they're tempted by God. For God does not tempt man with sin, neither can God himself be tempted with sin. But he says, the next verse says, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and his own desires. And, and that's what tempts us. Hello. And, and, and so, and so when, even when I say that, that, you know, God won't put more on you than you can bear. Did anybody hear a problem with that statement? That God will not put more on you. God will not allow. You know, in other words, we've got God already charged, you know, and guilty as the one that's putting it on you. In other words, we've got God responsible for your troubles, for your trials, for whatever burden, whatever situation, circumstance you find yourself in. If we're not careful, we're blaming God for that as well. We're saying, well, God, you, you know, you're, you know it's, it's, it's your fault that I'm going through this. Or you are not maybe your fault, but you're allowing it to, to happen, you know. And, uh, but, so some people would doubt that that's even so, what, I, what I've said. But... I want to tell you this right here. There are times in your life that your circumstances and mine will be more than our human strength and ability to handle. More than we can handle. And and when I say that, you go, well, I thought, no, that's not in the Bible. God never promised you that your burdens, your trials, your tests, that you'd be able to handle them. He, he never promised you that. And, uh, and so you may doubt that, you know, me saying it, but how about the Apostle Paul? Would you believe it if he said it? Let's go to him. I mean, probably the greatest Christian of all in my mind, you know, he wasn't Jesus, but man, he was awesome. And, and, and this is what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 1 and 8. This is, what, this is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, now we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, he's talking to believers here, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. That we were burdened, look what he says, that we were burdened beyond what? Measure. Above what? Strength. So that we even despaired for our lives. That don't sound like he could bear up under that. Look what the, the New International Version, the NIV Version, does a great job of in, in translating the, the Greek. It says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about our hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. Now listen to what he says. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. That don't sound like that he could bear up under it, does it? See, what, what happens when, when you have burdens greater than you can bear? You know, you, hear, you, hear, you say, well, I just can't take anymore. Well, you probably can't. But there's somebody else that can if you're a believer. Now, now, Paul, in verse 9, answers the question about what happens when the burdens are greater than we can bear, more than we can bear, beyond our strength, beyond our ability to, to, to endure. He says in verse 9, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not do what? Trust in who? Ourselves, but in God. See, that's the key right there. This is not something super profound, but it's trying to undo and unwrap religious thinking that that. That yes, there's going to be times that you and I are going to go through stuff. Now, sometimes the stuff we go through is self-inflicted. Bad decision, chose sin, consequences, here they come. 
but it's not God doing it. That's one thing I, I always talk about here, don't I? I'm always trying to tell you that it's not God. God's not trying to teach you something. You're not in the hospital because God's trying to get you to read the Bible. God don't, God's not God the, fa God the Father. He's God the Father. He don't break a few legs to get some attention. He don't send floods. He don't send hurricanes. He don't drown people. He don't hurt people. He don't give you sicknesses, and he don't allow it to come on you. God says, this is, this is, God said, this is what I want. I want it on earth like it is in heaven. Anybody sick in heaven? No. Okay, that's how God wants it on the earth. Well, why is it? Because the earth he gave to the sons of men, Psalm 119. The heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he gave to the sons of men. So, so what he says is that we stop trusting in ourselves, but we trust in God. Who, and he uses the most powerful uh, talk. You know, he says, who, who raises the dead? In other words, this God's got resurrection power. And he said, who delivered us from so great a death, Paul goes on to say in verse 10, and does deliver us in whom we trust and that he will still deliver us. Now that's a whole lot of delivering in that one verse, isn't it? Uses it three times. And so what he's saying is stop trying to handle life on your own because it's bigger than you are. You, you can't handle life on your own. I guess one thing that's always amazed me, I don't understand. I mean, I, I, I live uh, with an awareness that God's always with me, for me, and in me. And I don't know, and, and I'm telling you, sometimes life is more than I can bear. I mean, more than I can bear. And I'm not at liberty just to lay out to you, you know, what my life has been in the last week or so. But it's been one of the most difficult times in my life. When I stood in this pulpit last Sunday, one of the most difficult Sundays I ever in my all my 34 years of preaching I had to come to the pulpit and preach and encourage you. But I came on. And it was more than I could bear. It was beyond measure. I was even saying to myself, y'all pray for me like you did this morning. I need, to, I need to pray and you need to practice. How about that? <laughs> but I was saying, I, I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. It's beyond my ability. They, they, they was, we, we were placed in a situation where there was absolutely nothing that I could do but trust God. It was beyond my reach, beyond my power. What do you do in times like that? All, all you can do, Paul says, trust God. Trust God. Do you know it's interesting that nowhere in the Bible does it ever tell you to trust another human. There's not any verse in the Bible that says trust your brother, trust your spouse, trust the preacher, trust the politician, trust what. There, there's not a verse in the whole Bible that says you're supposed to trust another human. There's not a command to trust another person. There's a command to love people. There's a command to forgive people, but there's not a command to trust. Yet for there to be a real viable relationship, trust has got to be a big part of it. If you don't trust your spouse in your marriage, you don't have much of a marriage, right? You, you really don't. But trust is earned between humans. It's like a paycheck. I mean, it can take you years to build that level of trust and depth. And, and, and you see it like building a, a wooden bridge across a, 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 a river. And, and it took you months or years to build it. And it only takes one stick of dynamite and one bad decision to blow it all to pieces. Right? And we've all kind of done that in one way or another sometimes in our life. Or we've had that done to us. 
But just because somebody comes after they blow the bridge up and say, I'm sorry for blowing the bridge up, that don't put the bridge back. Sometimes I've had to say to my grandkids here lately, you know, sorry don't fix everything. I appreciate your repentant heart in situation and trying to, you know, I'm not going to do that. But we still, got, we still got this problem. The problem still remains. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing that you got to understand between humans in relationship, trust has to be rebuilt one board at a time, one day at a time, one good decision at a time. Is that right? And, and, and so 1 Corinthians 13, 13 that we started out with faith, now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, I, I could really get my mind many years ago around that faith abides and that love abides, but hope seemed like to me was anything but permanent. Hope seemed like it, was, it would come or go or you would have hope and then you would lose hope and, and stuff like that. But, but, but I'm going to talk about that in a second. But, but, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Now, now listen to this statement, wherever, or, or I mean, not where, but whatever we believe about love is what you believe about God. In other words, whatever you believe, your definition of love is your definition of God. That is profound. That was worth the price of admission right there. Whatever we believe about love is what we believe about God. God, because listen, because God is love. God doesn't have love. God is love. So whatever you believe about love, that's what you believe about God, and that makes it extremely critical to have the proper definition and understanding and experience the love of God. See, if you start out by saying, I've, I, I've loved you. See, I, I grew up in a church, and, and they, they, they didn't mean this diabolical. I don't, you know, but every service was, how many of you love the Lord today? Yeah. <laughs> Raise your hand if you love God. <laughs> and we did it every service. How many of you love? So I grew up on a foundation of this thing is about me loving God. And there would be times people would say that the reason you got a problem, you know, and the reason you love the world, and, you know, because the Bible says, you know, love not the world, neither the things that be in the world. And if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Is that what the Bible says? It says the love of the Father is not in him. But, 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 but the church I grew up in, the religious crowd I was around, they, they kind of mistranslated that verse. And they said, you know, the reason that you love the world and the reason there's so much worldliness in the church or the reason there's so much worldliness is because people don't love God enough. And so the answer to all your problems, you need to love God more. So stand more on your tippy toes and reach a little bit higher with your praise and just try to love God more than you do. Because if you love God more, you wouldn't want all that stuff in the world. And that's why you want to go out and do and drink and do and cuss and smoke and, and go with girls that do. and Because you just don't love God enough. And if you love God more, it solves all your problems. So get to loving God more. That doesn't work. And then they'd come behind it and preach out of Revelation. Said, you know, you lost your first love. Get your first love back. You just don't love God. If you love God more, you'd have less problems. And so what would we do? We would buckle in, strap in, and try to <clears throat> love God harder. How do you do that? It doesn't work. It's non-biblical. Your, your and my first love is not you loving God. It doesn't say for Dale so loved God that he asked God to save. 
No, for God so loved, not, God, not just God loved the world, but he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, the direction of love is not from earth towards heaven, it's from heaven towards earth. And, and you can never lose your first love because it ain't, it don't originate with you. John said we love him because he first loved us. So the first love is God loving us, right? Now, you, you can't ever lose it because it don't originate with you, but you can stop enjoying the benefit of it. Right? Are you with me? You stop enjoying the benefit of his first love. But God's going to always love you. He's already made up his mind that he is love, and so you can't stop that. God can't help himself. He loves everybody for real. Saved and lost. And when you was lost, he doesn't love you anymore now that you're saved. That one will make you hurt, your head hurt. Because that is so contrary to the world we grew up in. God doesn't love based on performance. God loves because he's loved. God doesn't love anybody because they're good. God loves because he's good. But so when you're going through tough times and troubles and trials, if you start out with God, I understand this because I've loved you, so you owe me. You're going to have a real problem with this thing called life. It's going to pile up on you big time, and you're going to be eating pills and, and trying to deal with it and cope with it because you're going to be depressed because you, you're looking at it from the wrong side totally God loves you period because he is love and what you believe about love and a lot of times the examples we've seen or experiences we've had have not been very biblical not been very godly at all and we have a very misunderstood God now I, I, I know what we mean by, by statements when we say this and, and, and then in my heart you got to understand what I mean but I, have, I want to really define this I, I, want, I want to be used by the Lord I, I want to see more and more like we talked about when and Pastor John was up here. I know you couldn't hear her thing. She was just had such a strong prophetic anointing on her this morning. I'm so, I'm so appreciative of that. But just, you know, not to the belabor, but Miss Connie, wave, darling. But just two, two weeks ago on Saturday night in, in my sleep, God said to me, and I've never done anything like that with Miss Connie. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about her person. I, you know, she's a member of this church, but, you know. And God said, pray for her. And, and, and so I woke up out of a dead sleep knowing, and I saw myself praying for Connie Powell. And I saw me praying for her head and for headaches and dizziness. So two, two Sundays ago, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday previous, if you were here, at the end of the, my sermon, I said, Miss Connie Powell, why don't you come up here? And she's looking like, what is he calling me up to run for? And I just simply said the statement, I know I have confidence I've been doing this a while. In, I have confidence in God, not in me. That it, why would God do that if he's not healing the woman? He's going to heal her. I don't even know, have to know the specifics. And I had no idea of the seriousness of what she has suffered in her body. And she mailed me a letter this week. And, and, uh, didn't you? and you even have a, had a paper in there from the Mayo Clinic about that disease. And, and man, I, when, I, when, I, when I was reading that, I, I, was, I said, man, did, I mean, she... This has been a, this has been a life-threatening even battle here. This is such a huge deal, and yet God healed her two Sundays ago, and and you know, Amen. Give Him praise, Amen. And 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 God called her by name, Connie Powell. Come up here, 
what God reveals, he heals. Be healed. I didn't have to just beg God. I had, oh, please, you know. She, and I used to, I grew up in church where it said, oh, heal grandma. She's been teaching Sunday school for 30 years. She's been a member of this church for 40. Come on, God, heal her. We're guaranteed she ain't getting healed because you wrote a bogus check. You can't cash one like that in the kingdom. You're trying to get God to heal her because of her performance, because she's been a good person. You know, I know if the Lord was going to heal anybody, he'd heal my grandmama because she was close to God. That's, that's a spirit of stupid. God said you're going to be healed by his stripes, period. Not by your prayer, not by your fasting, not by your begging, but by his stripes you were healed. And he didn't say you will be, he said you were. And God said, I already done it. You just got to receive it. Getting in the receiving line, not the begging line. Hello. God loves you. To me, when I see that, it's such a tremendous expression of his love. God loves you. He loves people. He, he don't want to see anybody suffering. Why didn't he call my name out? I don't know. Ask him. I don't know. Yeah, and I wish I could do that stuff every weekend, every day. And, and, and we, even Pastor John was prophet, prophesying that it's coming every Sunday. I mean, hey, amen, glory to God. But I'm not, I'm, I, can't, I just can't make up stuff. I'm always saying, God, I'm here for you. Even today, God, I'm here for you. Didn't have no dream. I did have a dream last night, but you wouldn't want to hear them. It wasn't interesting. I dream in technicolor every night. <laughs> and some people, you know, my wife says she don't even, you know, she don't even dream. They say everybody dreams. She just don't remember them, you know. But, you know. but I have learned that if you really do vividly dream, just doesn't make you, anyway, I don't want to get into all that. But, but, but God communicates with all of us differently. He knows what we need. He, he knows what we need to hear him. And, and it's perfectly normal for you to recognize and hear the voice of God. It's not something you have to strain at. You may have to turn down all the other voices of the world and just be still and know that he's God. And God still always, I believe, mainly is speaking to us in that still small voice, that real, just, just there, just, is that God or the devil? That, that's, <laughs> really, you're still there? Is that God? Is this God? Yeah, the devil's telling you to pray for that other woman over there and ask the, yeah, that's the devil telling you to pray for that person. Right? Who has an agenda to steal, kill, and destroy? He wants you to go lay hands on the lady there and just say, may I pray for you for your healing. Yeah, that's the devil, right? Just don't obey that. Right? You got you to cut that stuff out. Those little urges, those little urges, those little... Is, is it is it is it bring glory to God? Does it? It's probably God. It's probably the Lord. And once you break that timidity, to just to, and I'm not talking about stuff that goes on on property here, on this campus. I'm talking about just your life. Might be a coworker. Might be, I don't know. You might think it's weird. I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you today. I remember went into work one day many years ago when I was the chief of the ambulance service. And, and uh, I called my secretary to my office, and, and uh, I, I didn't know anything in the natural. But I, I just said, I just had an overwhelming sense of urgency to pray for her. And I, I said, Becky, you're, gonna, you're probably going to think it's weird. I, I, just wanna, I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. And, and I just feel like you're at the point of just even having really 
bad thoughts, even suicide thoughts. And, and she was not an emotional person. And she immediately began just, just, just to weep and confirmed what I said was so. That she'd been, she was right there. And I, and I said, I love you. And God loves you. I, I've been always amazed by somebody talking about, you know, you know, got to be careful. You don't want to love their, their spouse more than God. Now, follow me here with this. Well, you know, and, and I remember growing up hearing preachers, you know, warn, you know, your family become an idol. Don't. That, that is so stupid. You, you, you can't love your spouse more than God because you love God through your spouse. Some of you will have to think about that, and you'll get it about 5 o'clock today. But I, don't, I shouldn't have said that. But I, What I mean by that, I didn't mean that mean or arrogant. I just meant that it's going to take some thought to process that chunk of meat there. Okay? You've you got to knock off all that and stop worrying about all that stuff. Because when I love my wife, I'm loving God through my wife. Not that she's my mediator. I understand who the mediator but you just have to understand what I mean by that. We've got to stop playing all these religious games with, with these words. Everybody in this world needs hope because if you don't have hope, your faith ain't going to work. You're not going to have faith. The Bible says faith is a seed, but hope really, and the Bible doesn't say this about hope, but it does say that about faith, but, but, but the hope is like the soul that the seed goes in. And you're not going to have the heart to, to have the faith or to plant the seed of faith or to believe and have hope unless you know that you're loved by God. And that's the key. You, you, you have to know that. Uh, faith, hope, and love, they, they all work together. You can't walk in faith unless you have hope, and you can't walk in faith and hope unless you have the foundation that I'm loved by God, irregardless. Now, hope to me is like a rope. See that how, how I did that? Rope. What you hook your rope to determines how good that's going to work out for you. So in other words, if you're going to climb off of a three-story building, but you tie your rope to one brick, you're going to get really hurt, and you're going, and you're going to fall, and like Home Alone 2, that brick's going to hit you in the head. Right? And you're going to have a bad experience. And you know what you can do? You can get up from that and you can blame the rope. But it wasn't the rope's fault. It's what you hooked it to. So you tied it to something that wasn't strong enough, that wasn't secure, that wasn't steadfast, that wouldn't support you. A lot of people in here, you have hooked your hope rope to something other than God. And it's not that the hope is wrong or your rope is bad. It's just what you tied it to. If you tie your hope, you know, well, I, I, I thought that person was, and then you fill in the blank, that's what you put your rope to, and that's the wrong thing to tie it to because that person can't support you. If you marry somebody to make yourself happy, you're in trouble. You married them because you was happy before you married them. You'll have time to be unhappy yet. No. <laughs> I'm just teasing. You don't get your happy. Happiness is what happens. Joy is eternal. 
Happiness is when they call you down on prices right and say you might win this refrigerator. Come on down. I'm happy. You ain't even won nothing yet. Act like a crazy person. <laughs> you know, that's human nature. But now joy, joy is something different. Joy is eternal. The joy of the, wait a minute now. The jo- you got to get this one right too because, boy, we really mess. The joy of the Lord. You think his joy is up and down or is it pretty consistent? See, but most Christians, they, even though they quote it and say it properly, what they really mean is my joy is my strength. And I don't feel much joy right now, so I ain't got no strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so how, how do you get strength then? You focus on his joy. You focus on him. God's always joyful. The reason that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents is because it ain't ain't like the angels are doing that. Come on, let's try to get God in a good mood here. Oh, somebody just got saved, God, come on. Feel good. No, they're, they're responding to God's joy. The angels are just reacting to the joy of the Father. The Father rejoices over one sinner that repents more than 99 that need no repentance. It just just brings him joy. I told you when the disciples came back, Jesus sent them out by two, give them authority over devils and demons, and they come back and they said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us. We cast them out right and left. And it says that Jesus, in the Greek, it says he spun around wildly. He, He spun like a top physically. He manifested his joy. Jesus can know how to get his praise on. Y'all just don't know him. That's why, see, that's why the sinners and all, they love to hang out with Jesus. He, he went to parties. He hung out with publicans and sinners so much that they even began to call him, and the Bible says, a friend of sinners. It never calls him a friend of the Pharisees. A friend of the Sadducees. See, they're sad, you see. That's what religion will do. It'll make you sad. Pharisees, Sadducees. Jesus, people love hanging out with Jesus. They just love hanging out with him. It's just different. But religion has twisted that, and, and, and when you view it through, through that, you're going you're to have a messed up view of who Papa is. And everybody in this room, you, you need hope. You need hope for tomorrow. So you get a bad report from doctor, hold on to your hope rope. But I want to be absolutely sure today that you know what to anchor that in. The Bible calls God the God of hope. It says he's our glorious hope. And and, and there's nothing stronger to hook to than God himself. And and, and the New Testament is filled. I I, I mean, I I got so many of them written down up here. I can give you verse after verse after verse that, that talks about God and his identity is hope. But if you don't, if, but if you anchor your, your hope rope into a person, into your finances, into a marriage, into, the, that's not where your hope should be. H- hope is, is really an expectation of, see, the, the, the key to hope is, is truth. Now, I've said this to you several times out of Ephesians where, where Paul talked about we were without hope in this world. We were without hope and without God in this world. That's when he talked about you were, you were not born again. But, but when, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, and we won't go there, but if you read that, 
description of hope, and, and particularly through various translations, uh, when we're saying love is this, love is not this, love is, this, is not this, love is not this, then if God is love, then that we, could, we could actually take out the word love and put God as that. In other words, God is not proud. God is not rude. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily provoked. God thinks no evil of you. In other words, God is nothing like the evil picture painted of him by religion. God's not like that at all. Uh, hope is that rope that, that links you to a truth maybe that you've not yet experienced. Isn't that something? So hope is what links you to a truth. And, 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 and the hope rope has to be anchored in truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the, you shall know the, and that's what makes you free. And until you know the truth, see, it, it ain't the truth that you heard that makes you free. It's the truth, it ain't the truth that I know that makes you free. The Bible says you shall know. You, you shall know the truth. You see, you've heard it some, but you don't know it. When you, when you know that you know it is when the adverse opposite circumstances can't take that truth or promise from you. If it can take it from you and wrestle it out of your thoughts and your hand and your heart in a trial or burden or test, then you didn't know it to begin with. You just had heard it. You had the information, but you didn't have You had it up here, but you didn't have it in here. See, there's nobody can come along and convince me that God's not a healing God, but there's a lot of preachers that stand in pulpits even in this county and that would tell their uh, congregants today that God doesn't heal anymore. They, they, don't, they don't lay hands on the sick and pray that they recover. They've never done that in those churches. I don't mean that mean, but I just wouldn't go to one of them because I've been long, lived long enough to know that I've been sick a time or two and I need some prayer. I don't need you to put my name on a sheet of paper and put it down the Sunday school hallway on the bulletin board and let's remember our sick. And then after you remember me there for about a few weeks, then you can remember me and grant it out at the cemetery. But I want you to lay hands on the sick and quote the Bible says they shall recover by his stripes they were healed. I want you to be able to say come out devil in Jesus' name or whatever the deal is. I, I want to see the power of God manifest because it's all New Testament promises. But see, there's a lot of people that they've, they, they, don't, they don't know that. They, they don't know it. They, they don't know it. I've had over my years of ministry, I, I remember being called to different denominational, while I say it that way, and I'm not against denomination necessarily, but, but called to, to pray for people on their deathbed situations where their own church, and I didn't even know the people, and, and their own church did not believe in healing, but they heard that I did. And they called and asked me to, would I pray? Now, most of the time, it's not faith that's getting me there. It's their desperation. And I'd like to tell you that all of them, you know, immediately sat up in the bed and walked away from their cancer or their disease, but they didn't, many. See, when disappointments come, don't blame hope because hope's not the problem. Hope's a rope, and the problem is what you got it hooked to. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope, the God of hope do what? Fill you with all joy and peace as you do what? Trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
when you get shaken with really bad news and the temptation is to look around for hope, listen to me. Listen to what I said. Don't look around for hope because hope ain't around. You look up. In other words, you fix your eyes on the God of hope. You fix your eyes on Jesus. That, 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 that's where the hope is. I will lift mine eyes to the hills of Zion from which cometh my, my help cometh from the, that's, that's where it comes from. Don't look around. Just look. No. You know, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to find peace. It's in, it's in a person. Now, if you're born again, you, that peace is in you. If you're born again, that hope is in you. If you're born again, the love of God is in you. You may not be experience, experiencing it. See, because a while ago when I said, you know, they used to quote that, love not the world, neither things that be, you know, of the world, in the world. For if any man love the world, listen carefully, this is what the Bible says, the love of the Father is not in him. See, it's not saying that your problem is you don't love God enough. It's saying that you've not experienced a love of. It didn't say love for the Father. That's how I grew up thinking that what it, how it read. It didn't read like it didn't read like that at all. Never has read like that. But it was just misconstrued. The, the key to all your problems is not you loving God more. The key to all your problem is letting God love you. Experiencing that love. For God, God loves you. And, and, and you don't have to ask God to prove it. it. God can't be surprised, but if he could, I think the most shocking thing that would ever surprise God was that you doubt his love for you. Now, now God said the cross is the greatest example. This is how much I love you. I remember when I, when I first really got understanding about the, the cross and, and, and I, as a paramedic for 20 years and human body and all that deal, I read one time where this pathologist, this pretty famous deal, this is probably 20 years old now, but this pathologist who got born again, you know, with the information that was attainable to him, the Bible mainly, but he did a, like a, an autopsy of Jesus' body after the crucifixion. And he went play by play and step by step, and he told us what each of those things that they did to Christ during his crucifixion did to him, you know, in his body. How would the nails and, and, and you know, and it's actually, a, a, you know, it's not the nails that killed. It's, it's the suffocating and inability to breathe. And, and it, was, it was just horrific and horrible to, to go play by play, moment by moment, just the things that were happening to Jesus, the beating, the scourging, the loss of blood, the dehydration, the, all, all the things that he went through. And, and I came away from that thing w with this. Why, why, why couldn't you just be like Socrates and drink some poison hemlock and die? Could have still buried you. You could have still come out of the grave three days later. Why, why you got to go through all that? There's a lot of reasons for that, and it's not a simple answer. But one thing is everything and every piercing, every spot of Jesus' literal body that he bled from, he was paying for something. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and and all of a sudden now we've got this strange thing that's occurring in God's perfect world. We've got thorns and thistles and briars. And those thorns were put upon his head to reverse the curse. God never has cursed a man, ever, any man. There's never been a man under a curse from God. The Bible, God told Adam and Eve, the ground is cursed for your sake, the ground. God never cursed them, even in their sinful moment. He had nothing but blessing for them. 
Jesus was paying for that. And then the other thing is for Jesus to say, I love you this much. I love you this much. I love you this much that I would go through this much to demonstrate to you while you are yet a sinner, I love you this much. I mean, a lot of people love you and they would be inconvenienced for you. Oh, you oh, you need me to oh you need me to give you a hundred dollars? Okay, here's a hundred dollars. I love you and I'll help you out here. They might say, Well, you know, can you can you give me ten thousand? <laughs> I don't love you that much. See, God's love is unlimited. What was the most costly, precious, valuable thing that God could give? He gave himself. He gave himself. And for us to ever doubt that God loves us when we're going through troubles and trials and tests and tribulations, it's just, it's just because we've believed and been sold a lie from the enemy. God has always loved you. God will always love you. Okay? I want you to stand with me. Can, can I just ask you one more time? I know I'm kind of belaboring the point today. But can I ask you to try to, in, to, to just in your mind, I mean, I pray everybody in here, you, you got hope for tomorrow, right? How about hope for next week? You got hope for eternity? Huh? Can I ask you to be real sure what you got the rope hooked to on the other end? See, that way it can be strong. You can hold on to it. When you're going through tough times, and you will, hold on to hope might not see it might not feel it got hope you breathing ain't you got a purpose there's reason you're breathing got hope God's got hope I mean you look at the books you can look at the checkbook you can look at everything and it looks hopeless because what you're doing you're looking at that got to get don't look around look to Jesus the Bible says lay aside every sin in the way so that easily hinders you causes you to stumble I wish the Lord would tell you how. I'm glad you asked that. Next verse, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. God said, I authored it. I'm going to finish it. Put faith in me. What God started, he'll complete. What God began, he'll finish. And what is that? That's you. That's you. And God's going to bring you through that. Today it seemed like to me that there's just a, this, this focus by the Holy Spirit on on. You, you know, you just having hope, and, and no matter what you're facing, because God can turn it around so quickly. And I want to say it's been a tough uh, week or more. In some ways, it's been a tough year. But I want to tell you, I, I watched God even uh, this past week turn things around. I remember last Sunday when I come to this pulpit, in my mind, I, I even told my wife and, and, and my son, I said, you know, I had this feeling. I, I'm just a real guy, you know, like you and probably need more help than you do. But I was saying, man, if I could just, if it just give me a shot and just knock me out and I could wake up when this situation would resolve, that's what I'd take. Because this right here is more than I can bear. I cannot bear up under this. If you're not careful, when you feel like that, that's the people that turn to everything other than God. But you can't drink enough to get that gone. You can't smoke enough. You can't snort enough. You can't swallow enough pills to get that gone. You can try, but all that's going to do is screw up everything else. But you have to look to Jesus. 
And I just had this, you know, and, and when I feel like that sometimes, I don't even feel like I can pray. I don't even want to pray. And all I got in me is help me, God. And, and, and so you, you got to do what works. But what, you know, I just walk and say, Lord, I got nothing else to talk to you about. This is before me I bring to you. I can't even begin to advise you and tell you what I need you to do because it's too convoluted, too complicated. God, help us. I know you're there. Help us. Walk 10 more paces, help us, Lord. <laughs> Walk 10 more paces, help us, Lord. Just help us, Lord. Father, just help us, Lord. Just help us, Father. Just help us, Father. My focus is on one person. My rope is hooked to one person. I'm hanging on. It ain't hang on, Snoopy, hang on, but it's hang on to that promise of hope. And I watch God do it. I watch God do awesome this week. And I remember last Sunday when I come, I was thinking, I wonder what it would be like Sunday week. Will this happen? Will there be deliverance? Will there be this? God did it. I want to tell you, God comes through. Like Paul said, and I read the text, God said, I, I'm, I'm about to deliver. I have delivered, and I will still yet deliver. He said, deliver three times, and I read it in your presence. Amen? And so what, what, whatever you, you need deliverance from or delivered to, <laughs> sometimes we need the other. God's, God's there for you. Wasn't this a depressing sermon today? <laughs> Full of hope, love, and faith. Huh? Hallelujah. It's all you're going to get here. That's all you're going to get because that's what good news is. It's, it's not good news mixed with bad news. It's just good news. is It's good news. And that's all we got to give you It's good news. Amen. God ministered his grace to you. And we want you to go home with that today. I, I just want to say this and follow up on what Pastor John was saying and, and the, the deep wounds and the hurts. God showed me this many years ago, and I, I don't know if it's just my mind, you know. But, but I want to say to you, sometimes stuff has really been done to us that hurts really bad. Okay? And, you, I mean, I'm talking about deep wounds, like she mentioned. Deep emotional hurts where you've been forsaken. Where you've been, I mean, you've really been hurt. You've been hurt financially. You've been hurt in a lot of ways. But, I mean, really hurt. In a, divorce, whatever it is. But you've been hurt. Now, sometimes us that's been a recipient sometimes of, of that degree of hurt, it's just not enough to look to God and say, God, I forgive that person because i got to go on. i got to go on with my life. I can't, I can't tie myself to this kind of hurt and, and, and have any kind of life. And what God showed me one time is I had, I had received, when I first got into ministry, by someone that was supposed to really care for me in ministry, hurt me deeply. And, and, and the things they said have been proven to be just totally untrue. They were just mad because they wanted me to move to another city, take a church to be the pastor, and they were telling me that on Friday, and they wanted me there on Sunday. <laughs> they didn't give me any time to pray and to. I'm not. If it, I got a house to sell. I got a wife and three kids to you know, haul with me. I no, I can't be up there Sunday as the pastor. And boy, that guy come in on me. It's in one of those nominational deals, you know. He just attacked me in every which way. And then I, I first felt hurt. I was crying. I was wounded. 
And then after that went away for a few days, then I felt anger. Then I want to go, you know, punch his face in a few times. See how that works. I'm just saying I failed it. I know you're better than that, but, you know, I need to pray. You need to pray. Okay. And then it went from that to, you know, bitterness and stuff. I mean, I'm just going through all those stages. And then I, I, as a believer, I knew I got to forgive the guy. And I said the words and I prayed the prayer. And I thought I had. And then I realized about three months later, another minister who worked in that same office took me to lunch and he said, tell me about what happened. And I felt myself just getting acid again and just, and boy, I, wasn't, I didn't have much good to say about that guy. And I felt like the Lord just kind of said to him, I thought you forgave him. <laughs> and I remember feeling a little bit of fear because I thought I had. And I remember I went straight home that day, and this is absolute truth. And I went to prayer, and I was just hanging out with God. And I was saying, this forgiveness stuff don't work. Not when somebody's hurt you like that dude did me. It just don't work. I said the words, I, Father, I forgive him. I know, you know, he, he don't know what he did. He don't know what he, you know. but I still felt, <clears throat> you know what the Lord showed me? Because I'm a picture guy. I like books with pictures. The Lord showed me like a big onion. And, and, and it used that, that, that video of that because of an onion, you know, I'm not talking about just sweet by day, you know. But an onion, closer it gets, makes you weep, makes your eyes water, symbolism. But when, when I said the prayer that first time, I said, Father, I forgive that guy. It's like I saw a hand go in and peel layers of that onion away. But there was still onion there, but it was smaller. And I heard the Lord say to me, keep with it. Keep with it. Because what he was doing, what Pastor Hanno admonished, healing those wounds. And it was coming through his forgiveness that was flowing through me to that man. And I realized that it wasn't one and done deal with God or with me. It wasn't like I forgive the guy and now the onion's gone. No, I forgive the guy, but, I, you know, they, I'm just acknowledging that there's a few more layers here because that wound went deep. Now, you cut me off in traffic. That ain't... Uh, I'm over you. But you hurt my family. You hurt my wife. You hurt, you hurt, you, you go to that depth and that hurt. Uh, I got some layers I got to deal with. I know you better than that, but it ain't one and done. And I, I don't want you to leave here having, well, I'm just a bad person or I'm a bad Christian or I'm, it don't work. It does work. And there's a little verse in the New Testament, and, and we know around here now, and I got to get out here, the word repent means what? Think differently. It don't mean cry and tell God I'm sorry. It means it literally means metanoia, think differently. So when the verse says keeping with repentance, what's it telling you? Keeping with your your thinking differently. Keeping think think different. So so you keep with it. And this is what I want to promise you. So every time that hurt tries to rise back up that we prayed for today, whatever the hurt is, whatever the origin is, however old it is or however new, but every time that hurt starts to rise back up or you, you, you put your thoughts in neutral and here comes that video again or that hurt comes back up, just keep with it. Father, I forgive. I will not go there. I forgive. And I want to tell you, every time you do that, another layer is peeled away. And I promise you, by God's word, that, that, that before long, there's going to be no more layers there. And the onion's going to be gone. And, and, and it won't make you weep anymore. You'll still have the ability to recall it. But, you, it. but it will no longer have the ability to hurt you anymore. God gave you your memory to encourage you. The devil uses your memory to hurt you. But your memory is meant to always to bring you back to base, to core with God and put your confidence and trust in Him.
You receive that today. Would you give God praise for it then? Because it's his word. Amen. Amen. We bless you, Father. All right. So we already had the altar call, so I hope you got in it then. Hallelujah. We love you. We love you. God bless you.